going and getting a guy before you have a roster built around him finding success early. And I would argue foolish way to go about building a team. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Tuesday, January the 17th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Hope everybody had a great Super Wild Card Weekend. I know that I did. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT. JT, how are you, my man? I'm good. Uh, excited to be here, but also excited uh, for later on today because we are recording this episode and then me and you are gonna hit the turf running later we tonight. are yes yeah, so that's where we're starting uh jt and i if you listen to the show i'm trying to remember i think it was last friday we talked about how we are doing a winter indoor soccer league co-ed soccer league with some of our friends here in nashville um it's going to be an experience jt do you have any organized soccer experience in your lifetime i do i played 12 okay. years of soccer so. okay so you're you're gonna know what you're doing then yes okay see i the experience i have with organized soccer boils down to four or five years on mission trips in mexico playing against a bunch of mexican kids who just embarrassed me every day for a week um with a with a beat up soccer ball on a dirt field with rock goals so that may you know i, I like to tell myself in anticipation of this experience because i have no idea what to expect that you know, I've played against the up and coming best of the best. And these, these kids in Mexico, like that's all they do is play soccer and they schooled me. So like, I, you know, I've been through the, the turbulent fire that is the train, the, 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 uh, the, I guess you could, you could say that I'd been sent down to the, uh, the minor leagues down there and spent some time with the, with the organization. So the scouts <laughs> bumped me back up to the States and here I am my debut. Um, it's probably going to be a disaster. I've been walking. I'm currently wearing the cleats that I bought for this today, walking around the house, trying not to slip and slide on the hardwood because <laughs> I'm trying to break them in before our game tonight. We'll see. I'm sure on uh, Friday's show, we'll have a report on how that goes, but we had a fantastic weekend of wild card weekend football. And we're going to talk about that here at the top JT. I wanted to just give a brief recap on each of these games. Before we get into some more Titan specific content for the show, I've got a take here at the top of the show after we talk about these games that I think the expectations for the 2023 quarterback situation for the Tennessee Titans might need a slight adjustment from what I've seen from speaking to fans, speaking to other members of the media, perusing the internet. I'm not sure that exactly in the right place mentally. And I'd like to kind of correct that, but also we're going to get into some Titans news as always with producer JT lots to talk about there on the GM front, the coaching front. And then we've got a special segment at the end of the game, a game that we've done at uh, the end of the show, a game that we've done a couple of times on the show before the hot read heat index. JT has put together some postseason end of season takes from Titans fans on Twitter that we are going to go through and I'll be giving a hot read heat index score from one to 10 based on how scorching or how ice cold these takes may be. And we'll talk about them. That'll be fun. Let's start JT with these wildcard weekend recaps. Let's uh, let's talk about this first game. Yeah. So the first one on the docket was probably the one that went the way everybody 
thought it was going to go and as expected, and that was the 49ers-Seahawks game. And so the 49ers ended up trouncing the Seahawks. There was really only one watchable half of this game. It was a ball game through through halftime, and, and then in the second half, Seattle just made too many mistakes. They were obviously the inferior team, and they they really couldn't afford any minor mistakes. Those minor mistakes became very big problems for them in the second half. San Francisco kind of settled in, and the defense took control of the game. I, uh, the, the main thing that I have to point out from this game and from every 49ers game that we've watched recently, but this one in particular – Brock Purdy is fooling everybody. And that's not, there's nuance involved here because I'm not here saying that Brock Purdy is a bad quarterback or that he can't become a starter in the NFL. But I can tell you, based on what we have seen from him already on an NFL field, Brock Purdy is benefiting tremendously. And I cannot emphasize that enough tremendously by being in the Kyle Shanahan offense with an embarrassment, embarrassment of riches in offensive weapons around him and an embarrassment of riches in terms of the play calling and the offensive mind that is setting him up for pure success at this at this quarterback position with these weapons at his disposal between Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey, a little guy that they traded for this year who you know, it ended up, I think it is both true that it was a bad trade and also in terms of this team's offensive output has been a really fantastic addition for them. Um, you've also got George Kittle, who's seemingly got a connection with Brock Purdy these days. This team with this coach in this scheme is almost, it's as close as you can get in the NFL to being quarterback proof. And Brock Purdy is an, is an example of that. There's a reason he's the third string on this team. There's a reason he was Mr. Irrelevant and was drafted last guy off the board last year in the draft. There's a reason that as a rookie, he's come out of the gates and I think has not yet had a game where he's thrown less than two touchdown passes. I think against Seattle, he had three or four touchdowns combined. I know he had one rushing, so he's looked really good, but it's more a testament to the fact that I really think any quarterback would look good in that system with those weapons with Kyle Shanahan at the controls. And that's a credit to the 49ers organization to Kyle Shanahan and that coaching staff and to the situation he has built from a scheme and personnel standpoint that is so dummy proof for quarterbacks really. And again, maybe Brock Purdy becomes a guy that can be a starter going forward, but in terms of his efficiency, uh, his, his, you know, analytics along the lines of, you know, his average depth of target, his, his uh his his ability to to spread the ball around and fit it into tight windows his ability to make uh you know difficult reads and and do more than than just what is within within the confines of the offense that is being given to him by the coaching staff he's not he's not demonstrating any exemplary behavior in the, in that department he's not creating um, as a as a quarterback, what isn't already there for him? And again, that's not a knock on him. He's a rookie. He's was nearly an undrafted rookie. He's Mister Irrelevant. He's doing what he's being asked to do. So that's that's a credit to him. But this idea that Brock Purdy is the next coming of Tom Brady, the the Niners are going to have a really tough choice next year between Brock Purdy and their other quarterback options that are are seemingly going to be healthy by then. 
I don't think that's the case at all. I think that this is just a testament to Kyle Shanahan and what he's able to do with really anybody as his quarterback right now. And listen, it also helps that not only is there an embarrassment of offensive skill position weapons on that team, but this 49ers team is absolutely the best roster in the NFL. I don't think there is really anybody close besides the Eagles. The Eagles are the only team that's in the same stratosphere, in my opinion. And I think the Eagles have a better quarterback situation. Actually, I know the Eagles have a better quarterback situation right now than the 49ers do. But outside of quarterback, I think if you remove quarterback from both rosters, the 49ers stack up against the Eagles almost almost a, a plus arrow in the Niners' direction all the way down the depth chart. I think that they are a better team top to bottom. I think that they're the most complete roster. They may be the most deep roster. They've got everything going for them. And as long as Brock Purdy doesn't just crap crap the bed and and, and fall apart at some point in this playoff run, you know, they're going to be a team that absolutely is deserving of respect. And they're probably going to be in Super Bowl contention in the next week or two. So that's that's really all there is to take out of this game. Seattle, good story. Listen, credit to Seattle. They they were not expected to do anything this year. Geno Smith and that squad really pulled it together. And the fact that they made it to the playoffs is, is fantastic in and of itself. So um, yeah, let's move on to the next game. Yeah. And that next game on that Saturday night is probably the one that's been talked about the most uh, this weekend. And for good reason, because uh, the Atlanta Falcons now have a new contender for playoff yes, la- laughing stock. And that is the Los Angeles chargers. Yeah, so the Chargers lose, what was it, 31 to 30 final score to the Mm -hmm. Jaguars in what was a phenomenal collapse. I am once again here to tell you Brandon Staley is a terrible head coach. This was the most Chargers game I've ever watched live. There were so many things to talk about from this game. Let's start from the Chargers point of view. They lost this game. The Jaguars, I mean, they won the game, but they didn't win the game. The Chargers lost this game. And listen. That's there's a two way street when it comes to winning and losing in the NFL. And more often than people give it credit, a team loses a game instead of their opponent winning it. And that was what was going on on Saturday night. JT, you and I were watching this game together. And a side note, maybe it's because of the Vikings comeback this year against the Colts, or maybe I've not checked the numbers, but it feels like this season in particular, it's become really easy to see these massive comebacks coming well before they begin we were sitting there watching this game on Saturday night and eating and drinking and having a good time. And nobody was really expecting this game to be out of hand by halftime. We were all sitting there thinking this ball game could get tight. It wouldn't shock us at all. If Jacksonville came back and won this game, I know that I bet the live line of plus 24 and a half was the easiest live bet I've ever made because the Jaguars not only covered, they came back and won outright, But this Chargers team, first of all, Brandon Staley, one of the only things that made him lovable to anybody in the NFL community in his rookie season was his proclivity to be diehard analytically driven and incredibly, incredibly ballsy and gutsy when it comes to being aggressive with the way that his team plays on offense and goes for it on fourth downs. And and something that they haven't done really all this year is exactly that. He has become neutered by, I guess, an entire year of media bullying JT I don't really know what has caused him to change his ways so dramatically but in this game against the Jaguars the Chargers kicked field goals in these three situations they had fourth and goal from the four yard line fourth and goal from the five yard line 
and fourth and three from their opponent's 22-yard line. All three of those, they kicked field goals. That turned into, uh, well, is either nine points or six points. I know that they missed a key field goal near the end of the game. That, those are all situations that, without a shadow of a doubt, without blinking, Brandon Staley goes for it and, and tries to get the first down or the touchdown in all of those situations in his rookie year. And, and suddenly he's become this guy that's allergic to it. And I'm not exactly sure why. Speaking of allergic to to something, allergies, this, this Jacksonville offense, I guess they got lucky and the Chargers defense was allergic to them in the second half because on the Jaguars' final five drives, the final 32 minutes of game time, they scored four touchdowns and then the game-winning field goal. The Chargers' defense could not get a single defensive stop for the entire second half and the final two minutes of the first half. That That is... That is so bad. It's, it's un, it's, I'm unable to really put it into words. If you can't stop a team's offense a single time in over a half of football, you deserve to lose. And that's what happened. The, the Jaguars won the game. They're the first team to win a playoff game with a negative five turnover margin or worse. And that's really the big story of this game besides Brandon Staley probably needing to pack his bags and head to Thailand with Cliff Kingsbury on their tropical adventure together. I think that he has to go. I think that the offensive coordinator for the Chargers, Joe Lombardi, absolutely has to go. And besides the Chargers storyline, in that respect, you have to talk about how the Jaguars for the first half were trying desperately to blow their first playoff berth in a half decade. They turned the ball over five times in this game. Were I think all five in the first half, JT? I know that at least four were. I know that yeah, Trevor they were Lawrence all in the. Yeah, all, all five turnovers in the first half. It was four interceptions and a fumble or a muffed punt. Um, it was a fumble of some kind, I, I know. But a negative five turnover margin and a half. The teams were 0-26 in playoff games with a negative five turnover margin or worse heading into this Saturday. And they are now 1-26 all-time, regular and postseason teams have only won with a negative five or worse point dif- or uh, turnover margin rather uh, in 4.5% of their games. So it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to, to win those games. They managed to win. And frankly, it's because they, they, again, they didn't really win. They spent the first half, the Jaguars did trying to lose. And then the chargers spent the second half trying even harder to lose. And they won out. Kenneth, who's watching live. Kenneth, we appreciate you being an insider. By the way, to those of you listening after our live recording of this show, if you want to listen live and interact with the show like Kenneth, our pal here is live in the chat, you can do that. You just have to become a Broadway insider. Go over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. Go to the Broadway Insider tab under more from the homepage, and you can become a Broadway insider today. Just 99 cents for your first month when you use code INSIDER. Go and do that, and you can get this show live, as well as, I believe, Football and Other F-Words is going to be recording live from now on. We've got a lot of great stuff for you, but this is one of those perks. Kenneth says that the Chargers stated that they plan to keep Staley. Yeah, Kenneth, I saw that, and it's it's really foolish commitment, in my opinion. The idea that they're going to stick with him, I'm not shocked at all, because this is just the way that the owner of the Chargers, Dean Spanos, operates. He's known for being one of, if not the biggest cheapskate in the NFL. He's kind of allergic to change. He's allergic to big moves. He's not a guy that's all in on winning. He's a guy that's all in on running a business rather frugally. So the Jaguars, 
for their piece, before I talk a little bit more about the Chargers and we move on to the next game, they've played three of their last four games against teams that have actively lost the game and or plainly beat themselves. The Chiefs, who they play this Saturday, are not going to be adding to that tally. So uh, congratulations to Duval. They got their playoff win. They, they, they didn't squander their uh, di- first division title in a long time, and they didn't squander their first chance in the postseason. So good for them. I would love to see them beat the Chiefs because I'm a root for chaos guy, and I think that'd be really funny. Um, so that's doesn't lose on Saturdays. That's I mean, he has literally never lost on a Saturday as far as I'm aware. So uh, at college, high school, any level. So I think that uh, the Chiefs should look out this weekend. But yeah, I think that this is going to be just too big for the Jaguars in that game. We'll preview that more on Friday. Trevor in the first half looked like, I mean, I tweeted out that he was Trevor Tannehill. He threw three interceptions. And then I said, he's only one interception away from outdoing Ryan Tannehill in his disastrous, nearly career altering playoff game performance last season against the Bengals. And then he did it. He threw for four interceptions. Now, granted, they weren't all entirely his fault. A couple of them were tipped balls, but the tipped balls were as a result of him being strangely completely inaccurate it didn't make a whole lot of sense he was rattled and a big key I think to this game the Jaguars and I I wasn't I wasn't on this take until I was prepping for this show just a moment ago and I I'm all in on it now that I now that I think about it because I think that this is a a great comp by me not to throw my arm out pat myself on the back this Jaguars team is very similar to the Giants team that we're going to talk about here in a second. Both of these 2022 playoff teams are carried incredibly hardly by their head coach. Doug Peterson and Brian Dable are doing a fantastic job carrying both of these teams and leading them through the playoffs. Both teams got a win, I think, in large part, if not entirely thanks to the the performance by their coaches and the leadership they are in. Doug Peterson did a fantastic job in this Jaguars game of essentially doing a factory reset on Trevor Lawrence on the fly. I mean, he was giving him after his second, third or fourth interception, a lot of looks from a play calling standpoint that made things relatively easy for him. It gave him some, some confidence boosting completions, confidence boosting looks eliminated some of the decision-making he was having to do, allowing him to get into rhythm and then building from there. And he did that on the fly in this game. In the second half, Trevor Lawrence turned into a completely different quarterback. And I think a lot of that has to do with the leadership of Doug Peterson and his play calling. And so now the Jaguars are the first team in NFL history to have gone from the worst record in the NFL and then win a playoff game in the following season. That's something that I think Doug Peterson should be given the lion's share of the credit for that brings up a a slight tangent from me in the sense that I've been seeing on the internet lately that Sean Payton, the biggest head coaching candidate of this cycle, the, the perceived price tag for him, because he has to be traded for from the saints who still own his exclusive rights. The price seems to be at least one first round pick potentially two. And I've seen a lot of people saying that this is an outrageous number. It's a it's a staggering number. It's an un, unbelievable, uh, unrealistic number that that's foolish. No one's going to pay that. How do you look at what Doug Peterson has done with this Jaguars team? One year removed, essentially the same roster. So you know a lot of the same pieces. 
what he's done with it a year removed from the disaster with Urban Meyer. How do you look at what Brian Dable has done with this Giants team that is almost exactly, almost exactly the same squad that Joe Judge had in New Jersey last year? And, and he's taken them from one of the top picks in the draft to now a playoff winning team, and he's worked his magic. How do you look at the impact these head coaches have had on their team just in recent memory and say that a first or two firsts for Sean Payton isn't worth it? Is that a crazy steep price? Yeah, absolutely. But it's also entirely worth the price tag for an elite head coach and an elite coaching staff. The impact that they have on your team is immeasurable, and I think that somebody's going to pay it, and they're probably not going to regret it. The, the head coaching position in the NFL, there is no head coaching position in any sport outside of the NFL that has more direct impact on a team's success than head coach in the NFL. So that's a big deal. To wrap this game up, and I know I've gone long, but this is the game I had the most thoughts on, JT. On the head coaching front for the Chargers, they've got to get Lombardi and Staley out of there. They, they've got to go. They, I don't understand why they're going to keep them. It sounds like, like Kenneth said, they're going to commit to him. I'll believe it when I see it. What they should do is if they can get any kind of wink, wink, nod, nod agreement from Sean Payton or Sean Payton's camp, that he'd be willing to come to L.A. where he's already got a house out there in Malibu, I believe. He, he's expressed interest in quality of life and location being a, a significant impact on where he chooses to coach next if he chooses to coach again. Justin Herbert pretty good at playing quarterback I'd imagine that's a guy he would love to get his offensive mind his offensive fingertips on and be able to shape and mold that young star you you have to move on from Staley and get get a guy like Sean Payton in there if you can get any kind of agreement from him under the table or in in a handshake or off the record that has to be the move now I don't think they're going to make it one because they've already come out today and seemingly said they're going to stick with with Brandon Staley, but also because although Sean Payton is the obvious and wise decision, I just don't think that Dean Spanos is going to do it. He's he's just not that kind of owner. And so although I think an elite coaching staff is worth that price, I don't think they're, they're ever going to pay it. And because of that, I think the Chargers are going to continue to Charger. Moving on to our Sunday slate here, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins and what was a closer game than a lot of people were thinking it would be. Yeah, very close game. Another game that featured a third uh, third string quarterback that performed in a way that, let's see, we, we had three different games with backup quarterbacks in this postseason, uh, in, well, in this wildcard weekend at the very least, and they all three put up better performances than I think people expected them to. You know, you always wonder these guys in the biggest moment of their career, are they going to be able to, to rise to the occasion or are they going to be blinded by the lights a little bit? First off, Mike McDaniel can coach, man. He can coach his butt off and he's, he's a very good coach. I think that despite his quirky misdemeanor, he looks kind of funny for an NFL head coach. He acts kind of funny for an NFL head coach. He doesn't seem like, um, the kind of guy that would be a great coach, but I think that he is. I think that he absolutely is, and I think that this Dolphins team has made a fantastic choice with him, and he's going to be the coach for a long time. On the Bills side of things, the Bills have a little bit of a Josh Allen problem right now, and they don't have a Ken Dorsey problem. I talked to our favorite resident Bills fan, Sean 
uh, Sean Murphy today, JT and I's our our friend uh, from from school, and and he was telling us about just how much the you're telling me about just how much the the Bills fan base and community is ravenous for Josh Allen and think that he's thinks that he's a star and continues to carry this team despite Ken Dorsey. And it's completely the other way around, man. And and you don't have to take my word for it. Go and listen to anybody who knows ball. Somebody that um I was I was listening to this morning who I I no, don't always completely agree with, but I know that he knows ball and I I really completely agree with him on this point because his tweet thread on Josh Allen and the Bills situation compelled me to go and watch some of that tape this morning. Steven Ruiz over at the ringer was talking about on Twitter. And I believe also on his podcast, the ringer NFL pod, just how much he thinks the, the bills fan base is giving us some straight cope right now when it comes to Josh Allen praise and, and um, Ken Dorsey slander Ken Dorsey can only scheme up so much. He can't pull the trigger and press the buttons and make the decisions for Josh Allen. Frankly, despite Josh, or not despite, but since Josh Allen's elbow injury earlier in the season, from an accuracy and a decision-making standpoint, it's been really lackluster. And his efficiency metrics are kind of in the tank for what his very high standards are. He really just has to do a much better job of playing within the structure of this offense. There were a number of times in this game yesterday, he threw the ball deep 11 times in that game. It was the most in the NFL uh, deep pass attempts by a quarterback this season. He was playing hero ball against a team that was obviously the inferior squad. When you're playing against a team like the Dolphins, they're going to be the ones who are trying to make the game volatile, go for go for broke on a lot of their play calling and and play really aggressive play style because they have to to have a chance in this game that they can't really contend in. The Bills are the opposite of that. They needed to just play within the structure of their offense and they needed to they needed to and by they I mean Josh Allen primarily trust the the offense to to do a lot of the work for him and he simply wasn't able to do that. The perfect example was near the end of the game when the Bills briefly lost the lead and they go three and out on two deep incompletions by Josh Allen and then a sack that he uh, took on third down. He went deep on both of those first and second down passes. Ken Dorsey was calling mesh. That, that was not at all a, a shot play. Those were both intermediate dump off plays and Josh Allen just pulled the trigger. He did it like nine times in this game and he's he's seemingly... I think that he's kind of mentally cursed a little bit JT from last year's off season, uh, a postseason rather because he had to be the entire offense and had to carry and be that gunslinger, especially in that Kansas city game where they came up just short. I think that he's got it in his head that he has to be the offense for this team. And they, they don't need him to do that in every game in this postseason. If, and when they play a team like the chiefs, yeah, he's going to need to unleash the flamethrower. And he's going to need to play that way. But when you're playing teams that are inferior to you, or if you're in a comfortable game script situation, he's got to play more within the structure of the offense. And he's got to trust his, his offense from a scheme standpoint to, to be able to, to get those plays open for him, to take the check down, to take the intermediate route, to not take off scrambling and maybe just dump the ball away. He's trying to do too much and it's to the detriment of the bills. And it's a big reason why this game was closer than it should have been. The Dolphins, for their part, 
they couldn't catch their, their star wide receivers could not catch the ball, which is a tough scene, man. That's a tough scene when you are trying to put together a winning recipe with a third stringer in Skylar Thompson and uh, your, your two stud wide receivers in Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill just can't catch the ball for some reason. So, you know, in fairness, in fairness, rather to Skylar Thompson, I will say that if we're keeping all of this praise on Brock Purdy for his performance this weekend, I think that Skylar Thompson absolutely deserves the same kind of praise. He was balling out there and he was doing as much as Brock Purdy was, believe it or not, from a quarterback creation standpoint. And so I, I think that, you know, he's carved out a role for himself as a backup in the league going forward. Our friend Stoney Keeley of the uh, Sobros Network tweeted this out, and I thought it was funny. He, he tweeted during this game, imagine telling everyone at the Senior Bowl to scout the quarterbacks a year ago and that Brock Purdy and Skylar Thompson would be the only two rookies starting in the playoffs this year. It's a really funny turn of events, and it's kind of a, ref a reflection of how this NFL season has just been really strange. Our next game, which was one of the more barn burner games of the weekend with just points flying everywhere. It has to be, as you were calling it, the battle of frauds in the Giants and Vikings. This was the battle of the frauds and the Giants won this time. Uh, the, the, the Giants lost in the regular season, but they won when it mattered. Credit to Brian Dayball, man, and credit to Danny Dimes. Let's talk about Danny Dimes for a second. He played in this game, really the best game of his career in the biggest moment of his career. He no more Mr. Nice Guy for Mr. Daniel Dimes. He he played fantastic. He was a rushing threat. Those legs were moving, and I think he had north of 70 yards rushing and 300 yards through the air. He was fantastic. It was the combination of Danny Dimes playing his best game of his NFL career and Brian Dable being a fantastic coach. On the Brian Dable front, the last thing I'll say is that He's the coach of the year. It, it, it is Brian Dable. It always was Brian Dable from week one when he upset the Titans in the Titans home opener to the wild card round of the playoffs when they upset the Vikings and send them home after such a promising season. Brian Dable is your 2023 coach of the year. He's fantastic. And what he's been able to do un and unlock from guys like Daniel Jones and some of the Guys on this roster that weren't necessarily perceived as busts, but hadn't really hit in the way that they had hoped as an organization they might when they drafted them. He's done a fantastic job for the Vikings part. Holy crap. This was an aggressively bad game. And by the Vikings, I mean the Vikings defense. It was so, so, so bad. It was tissue paper. It was one of the worst defensive performances we've seen all year long. When you allow Danny Dimes on the road to put up 30 plus points on you and essentially move the ball at will have long road grading drives down the field, eat up six, seven, eight minutes of the clock at a time. That is so bad, man. It's so bad. The defensive coordinator I'm sure is going to lose his job because this was aggressively bad. Kirk cousins wasn't great in this game by any means, but he was not, he was not the reason they lost this game. Yeah. He pulled a Josh Dobbs and he threw six yards short of the sticks on the critical fourth down at the end of the game to close it out. Horrible decision. But that play, notwithstanding, he was not the issue in this game. It was the defense all the way. I'll point this out, and a little bit of a mea culpa from me, but just to point out that there's always a team. There's always a team that's like this. In 2020, it was the Steelers who started out, I think, 12-0 and and then faded down the stretch and lost to the Browns in the first round of the playoffs. In 2021, it was the Cardinals, who were fantastic, even when they lost their starting quarterback 
Colt McCoy comes in. They continue to steamroll everybody. They're in first place through the regular season, seemingly from wire to wire. Then they end up fading at the end of the year, lose the division to the Rams, have to play on the road, and lose in a game against the uh, Rams, I believe, in the yeah in, in the wild card round. And and essentially that entire core has been blown up now with Kyler injured and the coach and the GM now gone in countries abroad. Apparently this year, I thought that it was going to be the Eagles. I thought that 2022 was going to be the year of the Eagles just based on how hot they started and how I had some real question marks about the the um, found some of the foundational pieces of that team, specifically at quarterback. I wasn't all the way in on their coach yet. I've changed my mind on that. I think that, well, not the quarterback point. I still think that Jalen Hurts is uh, benefiting from a fantastic situation and an incredible, ungodly offensive line. But that notwithstanding, a lot of, of the similar things that I've said about the 49ers apply to that that Eagles team. In 2022, is the Vikings. They were the frauds all year. And listen, I mean, fr- frauds in football, they can still win games and the Vikings, I believe, are now 11 and one in one score games in, in this season. They took their one loss at the very worst time. Before we move on to the next game, just an overarching thought that I had this weekend in watching these games. Maybe it's recency bias, and I'll admit that maybe it is, and I'll I'll probably reconsider this in a couple of months when I have some perspective. But I'm I'm becoming more and more confident that there are more generally bad or fatally flawed NFL teams in the playoffs this year than I can remember really there ever being. I'm really, I'm getting closer and closer to kind of chalking this year up just as an off year for the entire league. It's been kind of ugly at times. It's been kind of weird at times. And from a defensive standpoint, the game we're about to talk about JT is the only game in this weekend of NFL playoff football that, even remotely impressed me from a defensive standpoint. Everything else defenses need not apply. They didn't show up at all except for the 49ers smothering the Niners towards the or smothering the Seahawks towards the end of their game. Outside of that, it was a score fest and it was kind of some ugly defense, not kind of. It was some very ugly defensive football. Yeah, and then that final game that we're going to get to, my personal favorite of I wonder the week why. here as I <laughs> sit here on a Monday celebrating victory it is the baltimore and cincinnati game jt you know what beats good what lucky lucky beats good baby every day of the week and twice on sundays the Bengals. listen i i'm not somebody that that uses lucky in a derogatory way necessarily i think that again it is better to be lucky than good and the Bengals absolutely have a four-leaf clover up their rear end because they have had the most historic two-year stretch of playoff luck that I have ever seen in my living memory. They got so lucky to win this game. The fact that it was 17-17, to Ravens ball on the two-yard line with five-some-odd minutes to eight-some-odd minutes to go in the fourth quarter is, is astounding. It's how we expected it to go based on how we bet in the best bet gauntlet last week, JT. And the Ravens just, they lose it in the most moronic fashion ever. The idea that Tyler Huntley thinks his arms are a yard and a half long to be able to stretch over that line and pull the the Drew Brees sneak over the top ends up getting batted away. And Sam Hubbard hauls butt down the field for 98 yards for the touchdown that ultimately won the game. Horrible situational awareness, 
horrible play calling from a coaching standpoint. You have a running back whose nickname is literally the bus. Okay, why do you not try like at least once, maybe two times from that two yard line to just pound it in up the up the gut? It's the one thing your team is actually good at. It's the one thing that your team is actually built for. Be big and physical and have a nice run game. That's something that they should have done. And they just said, nah, man, Tyler Huntley, backup quarterback here. Try to stretch this out two yards over the top and and don't get the ball swatted away and fumble and lose the game. And it's exactly what happened. The Bengals for their part. Oh, and by the way, last bit on the Ravens before we move on from them. The Ravens, this stat is unbelievable and has to be so painful for Ravens fans. They're the first team in NFL postseason history to outgain their opponent by 120 yards or more in four straight games. That's fantastic. You know what the record is in those games, JT? One and three. That one win, by the way, came to the Titans. But they have out <laughs> they have outgained their opponents against the Bengals, the Bills, the Titans, and the Titans, their last four playoff games. The Titans won the first one. They, they were outgained by 230 yards in that game when the, the Ravens were the one seed. Lamar was the MVP, and they upset them and, and went to the AFC Championship game. But they have outgained their last four opponents by 120 yards and lost three of those four. So bad. So, 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 so bad. For the Bengals' part, They've got something that's so, 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 so bad right now, and it's the offensive line. JT, you know as well as I do that this offensive line is a serious problem. It feels like we are experiencing Groundhog's Day right now. The deja vu is is real because this is a tweet that I could have sent out exactly one year ago today, and it would have applied exactly the same. The Bengals just can't get their offensive line situation squared away in the postseason, and it's, I think, going to ultimately be their downfall if they fall short. What are you, you're the Bengals expert here. What are what are your thoughts on this offensive line situation for the Bengals? Well, it's a, it's slightly different because last year you just didn't have the talent. This year you brought in the talent who was clicking at the right time, and then Landon Collins and Alex Kappa go down in the last three games there. So it's 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 tough, but also it, 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 you you are right in the sense that this line had its question marks to begin with. You can look at a person. Like Jonah Williams, who I saw this on Twitter today, and we as a Bengals and Titans fan, we can relate on one thing, and that's our left tackle or our tackles are uh, tied for the mo- for the most allowed sacks in a season. Jonah Williams and Dennis Daly. Both I saw the 12. the Dennis Daly shout out on Sunday Night Football uh, last night for all the wrong reasons, but yeah, it's 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 not great. It's not great. It's so, not. Uh, it's not. Uh, something that you want you don't want to have a Dennis Daly like t- uh, player you want on, nobody even remotely on similar to Dennis Daly on your team no. um in the playoffs here when every single snap matters as we saw last night every single snap mm-hmm. it does not matter um and I think if you get Alex Kappa back maybe you can see a little bit more positive uh outlook for that Bengals offensive line but as for right now, it's it's the same song and dance as last year, and it, I mean you can look at the how the playoffs are going. It, this game kind of looked exactly like the Raiders game last last year. It's kind of a little bit of deja vu. Yep, agreed entirely. All right, let's move on to the last game. We're going to preview. Yeah, our last game, which is tonight, right before we are recording this, and that is the highly contested as to who is the clear favorite in this game mm. in the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, so you'll all be listening to this on Tuesday after this game has ended. So we'll be previewing it very briefly, but I don't want to waste my words because 
you know, you know the outcome by the time you're listening to this. The whole world is on Tampa Bay, so it's going to be very funny if it turns out that they lost this game. Dallas fans seemingly universally nervous about this game going into it. They don't seem all that happy to be able to watch this one. Tom Brady, of course, has never lost to the Cowboys until maybe tonight. I don't know. Again, it's weird talking to somebody that knows the answers to the question we're currently talking about. I'll say this, Tampa Bay's defense, the healthiest it's been all year. The offensive line getting some help with Ryan Jensen coming back off of IR at the right time. Dak, if they won that game, it's because Dak played significantly better than he had all year long. He's not been good. He's been a turnover machine. He has been a hindrance to this team. And if they ended up winning, that's probably the reason. But I know that you and I are betting on on Tampa Bay. And hopefully in the future, those of you who are listening to this are uh, – saying good choice boys because that's what happened so we'll see excited to watch the last game tonight all right is that i was about to say is that it of course that's all the games all right so before we before we move on to the titans news with jt i have i have a take of the day for you here let's let's discuss this and then we'll get into some titans news and our game segment we'll get out of here here's the take stop wasting your time and energy on other quarterbacks as potential tennessee titans starters in 2023 today i'm willing to say with 95 percent certainty that ryan Tannehill will be the quarterback of this team in 2023 now a lot can change who the new gm is matters a lot what mike vrabel wants to do with this roster right now matters a lot what options become available to the titans whether it's in the draft or via trades or via free agency that matters a lot Considering all of the circumstances right now, it seems very clear that Ryan Tannehill is the is the number one favorite by a significant margin to be the starting quarterback for this team for at least one more season. In terms of drafting a guy, I think that the idea that the Titans should go up, make a big trade, sell the farm to get one of these top quarterbacks in the 2023 draft is really foolish team building strategy. Now, last week on Friday's show, Towards the end of the show, in our interview with James Foster, he and I talked about this at length, so I won't go into it a ton. I recommend you go and listen to that because it's a great draft primer conversation. But going and getting a guy before you have a roster built around, you know, built around him finding success early is a very dangerous and I would argue foolish way to go about building your team. It's something that if the Titans were to go and get one of these young guys, not only would it cost them tremendously in draft capital or, you know, player trades or whatever kind of kind of uh, value that it have to give up to be able to go and get one of those guys. It would also be just way too similar to what the Bears did with Justin Fields. Now, the difference is the Bears traded up to what, 11 or 12 overall JT to get that guy. And they didn't have a guy that was really a tenable starting quarterback. They had Andy Dalton, but they didn't have a a guy that could be the future on their roster. They went and got Justin Fields. And for his first two seasons, you've seen it's been a disaster. He's had the worst supporting cast around him in the entire league. And he's really struggled to develop as a result of that. If the Titans were to go and do that, I think it would be very, very similar, not because they can't put together a competitive roster for this season, But if they go and make that move for a quarterback, all of that capital, precious, somewhat limited capital that they have 
to be able to build that team around Ryan Tannehill for this upcoming season, that's all going to be gone. You're going to have to spend it in order to go and get that quarterback. If they go get a first-round quarterback and give up first and second-round picks this year and next, where are they getting their tackles? Where are they getting interior offensive line help? Where are they getting an additional weapon or two for this young quarterback to develop with? It doesn't exist. They don't have the money. They don't have the draft picks. They can't do it. So it's an either or in my mind right now. And I think that the foolish choice is to get sucked in by the idea of a quarterback and hoping one of these young guys can fix all the problems that you would have to kick to the back burner as a result of going to get him. That's a really dangerous proposition, and it's a foolish one. You may end up getting a guy that was never going to work out in the NFL, and even worse, you may end up going and getting a guy that can't work, can't develop with your team because you didn't do the work necessary before going and getting that guy to set up a situation for him to find success. And so that's why I think the Titans aren't going to go and do that not even mentioning the fact that there are JT so many other teams already ahead of them in the top 10 that are hungry for quarterback help. And so they'd have to be leapfrogging like seven or eight or nine other teams that want quarterbacks. It's too much. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's what Mike Vrabel wants to do. And I don't know who the new GM is going to be, but whoever it is, I kind of doubt they come in with the game plan of, all right, step one, Tannehill's out. We're going to trade the farm. We're going to go up and get a guy. Maybe I'm wrong. A lot can change between now and April, but that's where I think people's minds and hearts should be right now, not wasting your time on which quarterback are we going to move up and draft. I also think they shouldn't be wasting their time and energy on how are they going to get Tom Brady. Now, Brady, it's been reported by Dov Kleiman, among others on Twitter this past week and weekend, that among the teams that will be considering signing, signing pending free agent quarterback Tom Brady, who's definitely going to move on from the Buccaneers, uh, this Oh, excuse me. This is actually per rap sheet over with NFL Network. Ian Rappaport, he said that the team's considering signing Brady. The list so far is the 49ers, the Titans, and the Raiders. Now, those all make sense, and I think that this may be the most realistic guy on this list because we know that Brady has that established relationship with Mike Vrabel. We know that he's still got it. We know that he uh, is looking to get out of Tampa Bay. We also know this one's important. The Titans, as cash-strapped as they currently are, with the cap, he's the kind of guy that's going to be willing to potentially, or at least historically, willing to give up some of that guaranteed money and take a team-friendly deal. All of that is in the Titans' favor in terms of could they go and realistic, realistically get this guy. But would Tom Brady want to come to this situation before seeing significant change? Would Would he be able to successfully and happily operate in a Derrick Henry offense. Now we don't know if Derrick Henry is going to continue to be the focal point of this offense, but it's reasonable to assume right now that he will be a big part of the offense again next year. I'm not sure that Tom Brady and his play style is conducive with, you know, a run heavy Derrick Henry focused offense. I just don't see, I don't, I see the path, but it's a, it's a narrow one and it's a long one in order to get Tom Brady to come in, first of all, and then for it to be a success, the Titans would have to do a lot, and I'm not sure that that's something they're really going to be interested in when they have Ryan Tannehill already in-house. I think the same about Lamar Jackson, who has definitely played his last snap as a Baltimore Raven. At this point, I'll be pretty shocked 
if he continues to play for the Ravens. Where he goes, I don't know, but we talked about it last week. He's going to break the bank. I don't think he's a culture fit. I think you're wasting your time and energy if you're a Titans fan, hoping or wishing or praying for Lamar Jackson to be your next quarterback. I think the same about Derek Carr. He's simply just not an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill that's worth the financial hit. I don't understand why anybody would be wanting him. I think that if you want Derek Carr, it's because you have deep, deeply rooted hatred towards Ryan Tannehill that you need to deal with on a personal basis. And then Aaron Rodgers, he's also going to be, you can assume, very expensive. He's got a strong personality, and I just don't know if that's something that Mike Vrabel is going to be vibing with, really. Do you, do you see Mike Vrabel and Aaron Rodgers getting along? Maybe, maybe. And if he came, you know, it's the same questions with Brady. Is he going to be jazzed by the protection he's going to have on the offensive line? Is he going to be happy with the weapons he's going to have at his disposal? Is that something that the Titans can even swing in terms of draft capital or player personnel or cap uh, cap room to be able to get him on the team? All of those questions make it very difficult for me to see Aaron Rodgers becoming a Tennessee Titan in the offseason. So all of that is to say, I think that there's a 95% chance it's Ryan Tannehill again. People should have their energy focused on that being what's going to happen and how can the Titans improve the roster around him. And that that is something that I think is going to take some time over the next coming weeks for Titans fans to really come to terms with. They may not come to terms with it at all until they see after the end of April, the Titans no longer have a new quarterback on the team. They didn't go and get one in free agency and they didn't draft one. Kenneth, who's still watching, Kenneth, we appreciate you being here. He said, I'm almost 90 to 10, 90, 10 uh, that Tannehill has played his last snap in Nashville. I don't know how yet, but I can feel it. See, Kenneth, I just, I think that that is most Titans fans. And it's, there's a number of reasons why folks think that some folks think that because they're sick and tired of not having an elite flame throwing quarterback fire breathing dragon at the helm. And that's understandable. I think that some feel the changing of the guard with the new GM, a lot of new coaches, Mike Vrabel seemingly interested in taking this team in a different direction as an indication that guys like Tannehill, who have been the status quo for a couple of years now, may be on the way out. But it's just a feeling. I think that that's just a feeling that folks have. And albeit reasonable, I just don't see a, a logical path for them to go and get somebody else that is better. And more importantly, I don't think that the new GM and coach Mike Vrabel will see that path either. And that's why they're probably going to stick with Tannehill and try to build this roster up to then, hey, potentially, hopefully, go and get a guy next season when this roster is in better shape. And maybe this GM and this coach find their guy in the draft between, you know, Drake May or Caleb Williams or whoever may rise in the quarterback rankings in the next college football season. So those are my thoughts. And with that, we will move on before we get to Titans news with producer JT. Got to remind you, this is a video show. If you are listening via the podcast, we thank you. We appreciate you. However, there are elements of this show that you're just simply missing out on if you're not going over to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube and subscribing to the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page. You get this show in its video form with all of our pretty faces and beautiful graphics and supplementary uh supplementary that's a word i just made up <laughs> supplemental uh content that's all there for you you can watch and listen for free on the youtube page so go and do that and subscribe it's very helpful to us to have some subscribers over there gonna go ahead and knock it out while we're here jt if you are not subscribed to the show already wherever you get your podcasts whether it's spotify or apple or elsewhere 
please do that. It is going to be delivered to you once you subscribe. You can get the show notifications whenever there's a new show. Much easier than just having to search it up whenever you're wanting to get that Titans or NFL or draft talk fix. You can have the show brought right to you on the mornings when we post shows. And if you leave us a five-star rating and then a review of any kind, we will be happy to read those out on the show. We, we would love to hear, here's the prompt. I'll give you guys a prompt this week. If you wouldn't mind going to leave a five-star rating and a review, tell me your favorite thing about this show and your least favorite thing about the show. We, we've asked this question before and we got some funny responses, but I truly am curious. If you could be the producer of this show, you enjoy listening. There's something that you love that we do or, and there's something that you just like, guys, you got to quit that. It, you could up this show like that if you just quit doing this we'd love to hear and we'd love to, to talk with you about it on the show we'll bring it up we will read out your comments we'll shout out your twitter handle if you leave your twitter handle we'll be happy to follow you on twitter and send all of our hundreds of listeners to go and follow you as well so please go and do that review rate subscribe do it very very appreciative of you guys doing that helping us supporting the show and with that producer jt let's get into some titans news start off by looking at how we did so far this weekend on our best bet gauntlet hey not six, bad a uh, little uh special thing that we're doing here different currently uh, thank you for the very professional introduction the pick six thing very special thing yes, that is the that is the formal thing, that's the formal you know? title so i appreciate it's, you it's a little form. unique different uh, thank you for using the full name mm-hmm. on this here we went three and one over the over the weekend so far we That's hit right. on baltimore plus nine and a half Mixon under 85 rush and receiving combined yards and herbert over 37 and a half pass attempts thank you jaguars for coming back keeping that one alive the only one we didn't hit is on buffalo not being able to get the job done there and covering the full 13 and a half but what are you gonna do you foolish you of us not to realize yes. that the fire breathing dragon skylar thompson was gonna do it to us like that so it was looking yeah, good in the first half too, and then Skyler I know Thompson it was. turned it on. So. It, it was, it was, and we've got two more picks pending for tonight's game. Which, again, by the time you've listened to this show, you know the results. But JT, what are our other two bets that we have that we're hoping to, to hit on tonight? So we're going with uh, Tampa with the line there plus two and a half. We think Tampa's going to win outright in this game, and then we're going to go with Brady under forty-two and a half passing attempts. You probably know the answer to that first one, but you might have to dig a little deeper right now to see if we hit on the under pass attempts but those are our two picks hopefully we can go five and one and we'll bring this back out for the divisional round we'll have to see moving over to titan specifics it was reported on monday that the cardinals have hired titans director of player personnel monty Austinfort, as their new general manager so he will be packing his bags and going down to arizona to finally try and uh rectify that situation yeah, good luck. The Arizona situation is is not a great one. Uh, Dustin, who's joining us here live, he said, Austin Fort to Arizona, good that we are cleaning out J-Rob folks and showing our staff can develop. I agree entirely. Oh, it's a question, Dustin. Sorry. Yes, I think that that's the answer is yes to that question. I think that I'm happy for Monty. I, I think that he absolutely deserves a, a shot at a, a GM role, and and he's, he's good at what he does. I, I'm not here to... Uh, disparage him as a as a man or as a you know an NFL professional he is good at what he does and he deserves this role I am also however glad that the Titans have one less internal guy to consider 
as a, a potential replacement for John Robinson and a promotion internally. I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, as have many others, we seem to be the, the majority in lockstep on this, that the Titans need to look externally to fill this GM role that they have. And I think that they will. They only have one last guy internally that's in consideration in Ryan Cowden. I'd be surprised if he's the guy. I would really hope it's anybody but him, just because, again, some fresh blood would be great. And the important note from this, not only is Monty Austin Fort not a guy that the Titans are, you know, going to be able to consider for their GM position, but he also filling that Arizona role means that the Titans are the only team left in the league now, as of today, and others in the playoffs could, you know, guys could get fired. We don't know. But as of right now, the Titans are the only team in the league looking to fill a GM role. So they have the pick of the litter when it comes to potential league executives looking to get promoted to a GM position. Yeah, and over the weekend, as they continue to search for their GM, the Titans interviewed a bunch of people from around the league, including the Browns assistant general manager, Glenn Cook, the Bears general or assistant general manager, Ian Cunningham, <clears throat> as well as people like director of player personnel, Ron Carthen and Quentin Harris from the Cardinals. And they actually finally lined up another one here with actually my pick for who the Titans should bring in here. The Titans will be interviewing Bill's senior director of pro scouting, Malik Boyd, today when you're listening to this on Tuesday. So we'll have to see how that goes. And as for however many other candidates, I think there was maybe one other candidate out there, but that seems to be their group right now and who yep. they're going to select uh, from for their new general manager position. Yeah, Ian Cunningham is a popular one. I wouldn't be uh, unhappy at all with Cunningham. I, I don't think I'd be unhappy with uh, Malik Boyd from Buffalo. Uh, again, with GMs, I, I'm much less interested in who the person is as I am where they came from, who they've learned under. And I'm curious to, once they're hired here in their introductory press conference, what their idea for this team going forward looks like exactly exactly so I'm, I'm excited for them to to pull the trigger on somebody and to get them in here and allow them to put their staff together and start this uh this offseason process for the titans as they finally figure out their pool of gm guys they're also starting to look into offensive coordinator candidates and they it was reported that the titans asked chiefs offensive coordinator eric Bieniemy, as well as the quarterbacks coach matt Nagy. Uh, to maybe interview for their offensive coordinate position here. Matt Nagy uh, has not responded yet, and Eric has focused on the playoffs right now, as well as he's looking more for a head coaching role. It'd be interesting to see if either of those two take an interview. Yeah, so here's the... Uncle Easton is here to, to give you some nuance of the week. I, I've seen a lot of very... Um, animated very charged responses to the titans looking at bnme and Nagy. here's the deal neither one has had a great track record in terms of potential hires matt Nagy failed tremendously in chicago eric bnme has been trying to get a head coaching job for years and continues to really not even get a ton of serious consideration it was a big race narrative for a while that Eric Bieniemy couldn't get a head coaching job because he's black and, and all of this. I, I don't know how you can possibly think that, that has anything to do with it at this point after we've had three or four or five consecutive off seasons where other 
black guys have gotten head coaching jobs and have done great and he's continually passed up on there's a ton of very reliable and reasonable reporting that's been done on him not being the most popular guy in the chief's locker room and in the chief's offices he doesn't really have a lot of uh not a lot of friend making potential it sounds like and so you know that isn't to say that he's a bad coach i think that he pretty clearly is a good coach from an offensive scheme and play calling standpoint he's in the shadow of andy reed and one of the reasons why he would be interested in coming to you know coming to tennessee or wherever to become an offensive coordinator somewhere else it wouldn't really be a lateral move because he'd be getting out from under the shadow again of andy reed and he'd be able to prove himself as a standalone offensive guy so that's a reason why he might consider it consider it eventually but with with Nagy, who called plays for the 2017 chiefs with Bianami, who's been calling plays for the chiefs for a while and has been a, a key to their offensive success i think that they'd be both good at what they do but I can totally understand and I agree with the idea that I wouldn't like either of those guys to be the new offensive coordinator. Although it wouldn't shock me at all if they were to become the coordinators, they were really good at their job. I think that, again, these guys, especially with Nagy, people fail to remember that a lot of times head coaches, even when they are total failures like Nagy, they got the opportunity to be a head coach because they were typically phenomenal coordinators. And so that doesn't, you know, the, the inability to be an effective head coach is not a reflection at all on your inability to be a good coordinator. They're very different roles, very different positions. So there's there's just a lot of nuance there with those two guys that I think is being ignored by both sides of the coin in this conversation. Dustin, who's still joining us live as a Broadway insider, you can do that too, by the way, if you go become a Broadway insider over at broadwaysportsmedia.com today. Just 99 cents for your first month and use code insider. Got to get the free shouts there. Once we hire a new GM, Dustin asks, how do they win their introductory press conference in your eyes? Great question, Dustin. Here's how they win the press conference in my eyes. And again, the, you know, winning a press conference as a new GM or a new coach, it, it's very much within the eye of the beholder. No matter what a coach or a GM says in their press conference, there's always going to be a reaction from folks saying either, I love that, I think that this guy's the man, or that was a rough start, you know, that didn't inspire any confidence. For me personally, I think a winning press conference from the new GM would be them mentioning a number of key things that are all centered around the idea of not dramatic, but very positive, extensive change, not in culture, but in approach by this team and by the front office. I think that their approach when it comes to the way that they value draft capital and the way that they draft guys at the top of the draft, you know, maybe focusing on less injured guys, less um risk involved draft picks and and more focused on surefire hits is important i think it's important for them to change their philosophy a little bit in terms of positional value we by the way had this conversation with james foster last week you should go dustin if you haven't already listened to that episode because we had a great conversation about it with him but yeah player evaluation when it comes to positional value is important the titans need to stop trying to take running backs in the second and third round and focus on positions of higher value frankly at the top of the draft they they need to continue to churn the roster at trouble spots that's something that john robinson didn't do a whole lot of um they churned the roster in a number of positions but there were a number of positions they seemingly refused to churn the roster at 
like offensive tackle and offensive line. Uh, Dustin, did, he says he did enjoy the Friday episode with James Foster. So, Dustin, you know a lot of this stuff we already talked about, but it's important to reiterate that a winning press conference, I think, comes from a guy that is interested in uh, doing those things, is very interested in collaborating with Mike Vrabel, who I think is is still the captain of the ship when it comes to this Titans team. Those are the kinds of things that I think would be a winning press conference from him. I think it would also be wise for him to say there are certain key pieces on this team that we're going to lock down. Jeffrey Simmons, he's not going anywhere. You know, like, you know, Nate Davis, we're going to try to re-sign him. Some of these key pieces the Titans need to lock back down. If he were to get out, get, get out in front of the press there and say, we're going to be focused first and foremost on keeping some of these key guys to solidify this roster. Those are the kinds of things that would win the press conference for me. One more guy on the offensive coordinator front who does have a um, interview already lined up here is actually Falcons quarterback uh, coach Charles London. So there's been a lot of talk today on Twitter about how he could come in and play a role on this Titans offense. Easton, what do you think about that interview? Super meh on Charles London. Did a little bit of looking into him. Was uh, helped by some tweets from our buddy Zach Lyons over at Football and Other F-Words. He tweeted out the list of coaches that Charles London has learned under in uh, his career in chronological order. And it's been guys like Ted Roof and Bill O'Brien, Lovey Smith and Ron Turner, Mike Munchak and Chris Palmer, uh, a couple more years with Bill O'Brien, George Godsey, Matt Nagy, Mark uh, Helfrich, and Bill Lazor. Was- I'm not familiar with Laser. that guy. Laser, okay. Bill Lazor and uh, then Arthur Smith and-, and Dave Ragone. So those are all guys that, you know, that's a pretty diverse and successful list of offensive minds that he's learned from, a very diverse list of offensive coaches. But, and we actually have this to pull up for you guys on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Here's a list, I believe also courtesy of Zach Lyons, who did a, a deep dive. He's great with this kind of uh, football business side of things. He brought up this chart on Twitter that I believe he put together of his job as a running back coach in, in Houston for the most part, and then with the Bears. By the way, those years in Houston as a running back coach, Charles London was working alongside Mike Vrabel, who was the defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans at the time. He's been really not great uh, from a running standpoint, at least as a running back coach. His teams haven't done very well. It's been a very lackluster time. And then his time in in Atlanta as as a quarterback coach, also pretty lackluster with Matt Ryan and Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter and that bunch. So, I'm out on on London. I think that he's very uh, meh as a candidate. There are much better options out there. And because of that, uh, I hope that they focus on some other guys. I'd much rather, if this clears anything up, I'd much rather them go with a Nagy or a Biennemi than a Charles London as an option. Finally, in this la- in this last segment here on the news portion of this show, let's talk about CJ Stroud, who finally declared for the draft, putting away all of the questions and scenarios if this draft came down to a top two quarterback race instead of a top three but that that is all gone now cj stroud will be going to the draft and our draft boards are shaping up more and more here down the stretch yep he's he's gonna be there and it was a big question there for a while why he took so long to uh declare for the draft he eventually did i think that he really was thinking long and hard about returning to ohio state but he's chosen to come to the nfl and make a lot of money and become an nfl quarterback so it's going to shape the the top 10 of this draft 
very interestingly, um, it was going to be a, a real, a real question as to how the top 10 worked if he wasn't in this draft. But with three very desirable quarterbacks in Stroud and Levis and Young, this is going to be a very interesting arms race for quarterbacks in this draft. And I can't wait to spend the next three months talking about it. And that's all we got today on this Titans news segment. All right, we're almost out of here, and I know we're running long once again, JT. Gosh, we got to quit doing this, but uh, we've got one more segment for you that I am really excited about. It's the Hot Read Heat Index. Let's jump right into it, JT. Walk us through what you set this this up. You put together this segment. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some takes. Walk us through what the uh, what the focus is here. These are all takes from the Titans' end of season, correct? Yeah, so last week I was scouring Titans Twitter for some of the most heinous and also kind of interesting sneaky takes on the internet here in which Titans fans were just throwing out everything which way, that, and the other last week. And I I took a couple of them and also tweeted out on the page that leave us some and we might include them here on the uh, Hot Read Heat Index section of the podcast. It got moved from the Friday show to the Monday show, but it is here now. And we're going to go through a couple of takes from Titans Twitter here. And you're going to rate them on one to 10. One being it's a very cold take. They should absolutely do this all the way up to 10, where it's hotter, hotter than H-E double hockey sticks. Hotter than the sun, man. Service of the sun. You shouldn't, you should not even be thinking about this. So that's how the ranking is going to go. We're going to start with the first one in which uh, at Titans opinions on Twitter, Uh, tweeted out that the Tennessee Titans could win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill as QB1. How hot of a take do you think that is? I I give it a three. I've said this for a long time. I think that, I mean, listen, can the 49ers win a Super Bowl this year with Brock Purdy? Seems like everybody kind of thinks they could. Yeah, kind of seems like they might. Uh, could could the you know could the Tennessee Titans win with a guy who's significantly better than Brock Purdy and Ryan Tannehill? Yeah, I think that they could. Did we see uh, did we see the Eagles a couple of years ago win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles? Yeah. Have we seen the the 49ers almost win a couple of times with Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. Did we see the Rams win with Matt Stafford, who was not good at all down the stretch last year? Yeah. It doesn't mean you having. Having a non-elite quarterback, I'll say this for the millionth time and I'll say it till I die, does not mean you can't win a Super Bowl. This can and can't binary choice. If you have this, you can. If you don't have this, you can't. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's all probabilities. It's all percentages. Do you make it harder on yourself as a team to win a ring if you don't have a top five quarterback in the league? Yeah, definitely. You also make it harder on yourself if you have a bottom 30 31 32 defense in the league you make it harder on yourself if you're the vikings and you have that defensive performance like there's a lot of things you can and can't have that make winning a ring very difficult does it make the the path for the titans narrow and more difficult than it would be if they had a josh allen or a patrick mahomes or a joe burrow yeah totally it does but does it mean that that path doesn't exist that that door is closed no not at all we saw them get to the afc championship and have a lead uh halfway through the game just a couple of years ago with Ryan Tannehill. We've seen teams do this before just because it's harder and less likely doesn't mean it's impossible. So this is a three. This absolutely is a fair take. Our next take here, I know we kind of talked about it, but Field Yates put out, if a team were to trade for Derek Carr, this is what they would know own him on his still current deal. So in 2023, he would make 32.9 million base salary, 
all the way up to, with bonuses, a $33 million cap hit. In 2024, that skyrockets to almost a $42 million cap hit. And in 2025, it, it comes down just slightly to a $41.3 million cap hit. I know we already talked about your thoughts yeah. on it, but give us uh, just the rating on how how hot of a take is it that Derek Carr or, by extent, a Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Ryan Tannehill and could work better in this offense. Yeah, this is a 10. This is a scalding hot take. It's a ridiculous take. It's insane. It has been insane. It is insane. It always will be insane. The idea that the Titans should should spend money, should spend capital, should spend time, energy, and resources on going and getting a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo to replace Ryan Tannehill, it's foolishness. They're all in the same tier of quarterback. Ryan Tannehill works very well with this team. He knows this team. He has chemistry already. The coaches trust him. He knows the playbook. Everything about the comparison in a Titans uniform between Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, and Jimmy Garoppolo, it's no contest. It's Ryan Tannehill. This is a 10. It's ridiculous to want Carr or Garoppolo by extension. Next one, we had uh, our old buddy from the Titans, Chris Johnson, tweet out last week, uh, sending Titans Twitter into an absolute frenzy last week posting this photo of a photoshopped Aaron Rodgers into a Titans uniform. Easton, by extension, I'll give you these three quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, and Tom Brady. You should use the capital to go trade for Lamar and Aaron or just sign Tom Brady straight up. How hot of a take is that? <laughs> it's a it's an eight, and only because I gave a 10 to looking at Carr or Garoppolo. I still think it's ridiculous. I will say I love Chris Johnson's Twitter game. I love the way that he just exists on Titans Twitter to create chaos and havoc. I, I'm here for it. I think it's hilarious. Um, I don't know how much of this he truly believes or not. I don't really care. The point being, would it be exciting on the surface to have Aaron Rodgers in the Titans uniform and playing under Mike Rabel? Yeah, sure. I mean, it would it would make things interesting. Would it be the most beneficial to the Titans' success? No, I don't think that it would be um, in terms of how much they would have to spend to get and keep him here. With Tom Brady, I, you know, individually, I'd say like Lamar is a 9 out of 10 on the Hot Read Heat Index. Rodgers is like a 7.5 or an 8, and then Brady is like a 6.5 or a 7. Again, I think Brady is maybe the most realistic, most reasonable option, but all three of them, I don't like the idea of any of those three guys coming in to replace Ryan Tanhill for this next season. Let's move on to another one, and this came from one of our mentions here in uh, Jacob Sane, uh, follower of the show at Big James follower of the show. Hall, he, Hall of Fame follower of the show. Jacob's a big-time fan of the show, so we, we appreciate you, Jacob. He, he tweeted at us that King Henry needs Cliff Kingsbury as his new offensive coordinator, but only if Nuke DeAndre Hopkins is okay with him because we have to trade for Hopkins too. If Hopkins is pro Cliff, hire him. If not, look elsewhere. So how hot of a take is it that the Titans should trade for DeAndre Hopkins and give old Cliff Kingsbury a call from Thailand and ask him to come uh, stay for a little bit in Nashville? Well, first of all, good luck finding a number for Cliff Kingsbury right now out in Thailand. I think um, because of because of the multiplier effect, both of these takes, Kingsbury and trade for Hopkins, that me, that means that the the hot read heat index rating for this take is is it's exponentially higher than it would be for any individual take there. I'll I'll say it's a 
I'll say it's an eight out of 10. I think it's kind of crazy. And most of the craziness lies within Cliff Kingsbury being the new OC. Now, I do think he can be a decent offensive coordinator. I think that he's a great offensive mind. I think that, you know, a guy that is credited by the entire football community as having revolutionized the air raid offense in college. And then he did quite a few nice things in the NFL from an offensive scheme standpoint, but it just didn't work out. That's fine. That's good. I think that he could be a successful offensive coordinator at the college college or NFL level somewhere else. What I don't think could work is him with this Titans offense and this Titans personnel. I don't see that being a thing that works. DeAndre Hopkins coming to the Titans could work. Certainly. It, it's, we talked about it last week. It's a risky move. And listen, maybe JT Monty Austin going to be the GM of the Cardinals is just a sleeper cell operation because he might just trade DeAndre Hopkins to the Titans for a sixth round pick. And then booyah, you're in business. I'm with that. Um, if that's the case, then great. Bring in Luke Hopkins. If, if not, I'd say that doing both of these things and essentially adopting a Cardinals offensive boost into the Titans offense for 2023, I give it an eight. It's a pretty hot take. Moving on to our next one here. It was reported earlier this week that Mike Vrabel said something pretty interesting. He said, I want to be a smart, fast, and physical team. We have to be a faster football team. Rarely are we the fastest team out there. And that got a lot of Titans Twitter thinking about, hey, we need to go get our buddy from down the road at the University of Tennessee, Jalen Hylett. Uh, Some people even saying as high as using the 11th overall pick on Jalen Hylett. No, no, how, no, 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 how no. hot of a take is that? Hot, hot, so hot. That's that's a 10. That's a 10. It has. It's really nothing against Jalen Hyatt. He's. I don't think he's worth an 11th overall pick by any means. I think that he's a late first, early second round prospect that will probably go because wide receiver position is inflated over the next three months. He'll be talked up. He'll probably go in the mid first to late first area. The other reason is this Titans team needs other things at 11 so much more than they need Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt. Now, if he's there at the turn for their second round pick, I'm fine with them considering that. He's a burner. He's going to be a very different type of player if the Titans were to put him on this offense, something that they've not had much of for a couple of years now. I'm fine with that move then, but at 11, insane. It's a 10. And our final one here with the firings of the offensive coordinator, as well as a bunch of other uh, positions, the offensive line coach position filled in or opened up. Opened Someone up. Someone who, who could fill it. And people on Twitter are saying this a lot, that if Ben Jones were to retire, he should be a serious candidate for that position. Easton, how hot of a take is that? I like this one. I'm going to give it a four, um, maybe a, maybe a four and a half. I, I like this idea. I don't love the idea of Ben Jones being the guy as the offensive coordinator or the not offensive coordinator, definitely not the offensive coordinator. I don't like him being the guy as the offensive uh, line coach just because he doesn't have any coaching experience under his belt that I'm aware of. But if you were to bring him in as an offensive line consultant, kind of the way that Jeff Saturday had been operating for the Colts in recent years, if he was a, you know, if he was the senior offensive line assistant, something along those lines, I love that idea. I think the idea of keeping Ben Jones and his football mind in and around the Titans offices and in and around the Titans locker room is a great idea. And again, if he chooses to retire and is interested in doing that and wants to make Tennessee maybe his, you know, first stop in a coaching career that he launches into, I think that'd be a great idea and the Titans should absolutely consider it. And that's going to end our hot read heat index segment for this show. 
yeah, so I enjoyed that. Always fun. We'll do more of those in the future, I'm sure. Until the next show, which will be on Friday, first thing in the morning, we'll be talking about the divisional round and previewing all of that, as well as any Titans news from the week. Maybe the Titans will have a new GM by then. Maybe they'll have a new coach or two by then. We don't know. We will see. We'll talk to James Foster on Friday as well, doing some more draft show preparation. By the way, you shouldn't, and I've said this before a couple of times in the past couple of shows, past couple of weeks, you shouldn't be looking anywhere else in the Nashville media market than right here for the very best NFL draft content over the next three months. You guys have no idea the guests that we have planned to be on this show, the amount of work that we have planned to go into this draft cycle and this free agency cycle. It's going to be the most comprehensive Titans focused draft source of content that there is. I can guarantee that. So definitely be tuning in, sharing with your friends. We appreciate the grassroots effort from all of those of you who are willing to share the show and tell your Titans friends and family that you enjoy it. We, uh, we, we look forward to continuing to grow and we thank you for listening. JT and I have a football traditional football English football game to go and play and try to win so until Friday I am Easton Freeze for producer JT this has been the Hot Read Podcast we'll talk to you later this week